Would you, would you like to pray? Lord, we thank you so much that by your grace and your grace alone, we've been brought here this morning in every detail. Lord, Father, and Lord, this morning, by uh, just overwhelmed with gratitude for your loving kindness and your patience and your love that you have for each and every one of us. So, Father, I just ask that you do. You just fill us all with your peace. You give us the ability to hear and protect us from the evil one, Lord Father. And have your way in and in a special way this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Do you have anything on your heart? Well, he's he's really been he's really been dealing with me with image. With with it, with image. Image, yeah. Okay. Perfect. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you then. So just a few thoughts about that. What what are what has he been saying to you? Just just like I've been I've been reading in Genesis 126. Well, how does the scriptures see Genesis 1 26 and 27? Maybe we record this. Genesis 1 26 and 27. Uh, when God created man in his image. And I, I think that's incredible. And of course, when it says man, we know very clearly based upon the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, that he saw man in his fullness. It was man and woman. Because obviously we know further, we know further in Genesis, the second chapter, starting at verse seven, when he created Adam from the dust of the ground, and down through the, those verses in that chapter, he took, he put him in a place of rest, Adam. He, God put Adam in a place of rest. And out of him, he, he took Eve. Uh, so the Hebrew says, says that there, when he created man, man there is, in, especially when he was creating Adam from the dust of the ground in Genesis 2-7 and taking the woman out in verses 20 down through 24 and further, uh, he said, Adam was Ish, and out of Ish, he took Isha, <laughs> women. And I love what it says there too. He, he, he made Adam, he created Adam and, and formed him out of the dust of the ground. But when it says the woman, it says he built a woman. <laughs> and this all obviously is all indicative of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You and I are saved by grace through faith, even that not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Notice what it says. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained. And the before ordained is Second Corinthians, uh, second, uh, uh, it's Hebrews 4, verse 3. The works were finished from the foundation of the earth and the eternal mind of God, even before he created uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And in Genesis 5, 1 and 2, even before that, there had to be a lamb in Revelations 13, 8. That was, in terms of God's eternal mind, had finished the work in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. And it's very beautiful the way that that, that is brought out. So uh, in this sense, that both the Father and the Son 
God the Father and God the Son, the Son of God, prior to the Son of Man, for them to have that rest, that propitiatory rest, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice. This is exactly what, this, what is being brought out here. In these verses, as Mike was sharing, about image. Image. Okay, so again, in, this, in, these, in these verses of image, and creating him in the image of God, and we know, uh, based upon the creation of God, obviously this, is, this was God seeing true creation in Christ his Son. So the Word, the Word of God, which is in John 1, verse 1, who, who is the Son of God in terms of his deity, had to put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14, had to cloak, tabernacle himself in humanity to become the Son of Man or to be that sacrifice for sin in 2 Corinthians 5 and, and verse 21. And so that's what is being brought out when we talk about and when God counsels all of us this morning about proper image, proper image. And this is something that we're, we're all learning here. As Mike in his beautiful prayer brought out, how it's just all grace. It is all the grace and truth in John 1 and verse 14. The grace and truth that Christ is. And when it talks about the grace and truth there, it really is about the whole Christian life in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, that, that life being worked out, which is our image, Based upon First John five eleven, we have uh, that image is the eternal life that we have. That that is being that is being worked out in in Second Peter three and verse eighteen through grace. And I love what it says. And we're to grow in grace. It's the only way we can grow. We are to grow in grace, and then in knowledge. So what that's bringing out is to to know God is is knowledge. So to know God. God is, in 1 John 4, 7 and 8 and 16, God is, he's love. So through grace, we grow into this loving relationship that is ours in Christ that was foreordained for us in Acts 2 and verse 23, foreordained in the eternal mind of God. And nothing, nothing ever could take God by surprise. Not one single thing. In 1 John 3.20, he knows all things. And the things where it says that in 1 John 3 and verse 20, where it says he knows all things, is the separating, sanctifying process in John 17 and verse 17. And what that is teaching us, it's, it's teaching us, separating us from the old image and bringing us into the new image experientially, which is ours, positionally, and literally, even in the foreknowledge of God. Now, again, when we teach that, when the Bible, I should say, teaches all of us that, we're not teaching what Calvinism would teach, that, in, that God, before anyone was ever born, regardless of their will, he apportioned certain to be uh, born again and, and to be saved, and others just, just go to hell. And of course, we know that God is nothing like that whatsoever. That is not the image that God has created us. But then there's this sanctifying, separate, separating process where we as Christians, where we as Christians are here 
in John 17 and verse 16, we are in the world, but we're not of it. Again, I just want to stress again, can't be stressing these words enough, the word in and of. The word in and of. We are in this world, but we're not of it. We are of Christ. Jesus himself said in John 17 and verse 14 that he was not of this world, and that word of is constituted of the world system. There wasn't a thing, he didn't have a thing to do with, with the prince of that world in John 12 and verse 31 and in John 14 and verse 30, and neither do you and I. There's nothing about who we are in Christ that has anything to do with this world system, not a single thing. We don't need to escape. We don't need to go to a different place to have peace. Ephesians 2 and verse 14, Christ is our peace. He's our very peace. And when we function in that, then we rest in his love. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 says that God rests in his love. What he's doing is he's resting in the son of his love. And that's where we rest in Colossians chapter 1, uh, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He has, he, has, he has taken us out of this world system and transformed us or transliterated us into the kingdom, it says, of the son of his love. That, and the kingdom always speaks of, of a rule. God ruling us with the authority of his love. And so this takes, what takes place here is to understand this is that we as Christians that are in this world system, but not of it, any more than in Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh is in us, yes, but it, we are not of it. And this is the experiential sanctifying a process that has positioned us in Christ as an eternal fact. That was the will of God, but it wasn't separated from the will of an individual who would submit. You see, when Adam fell, God never took away his free will. Because in Ecclesiastes 3 and 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever. He, whatever he does, he does forever. God gave man a free will. He will not violate the free will. The enemy constantly violates the free will. How? In the believer, he does it through the flesh. That we're not, that's in us, but that we're not of. And when we refuse, or when we need to grow in our capacity in Christ, and, and when we need to understand and grow in these things, when we haven't yet in areas rested in his love, then God will use the flesh, what the enemy means for evil, because in the flesh, all there is is evil. Every thought, every purpose, every desire of it. We see that way back, way back in Genesis, the sixth chapter and the fifth verse. And we also see it in Genesis, the eighth chapter and the 21st verse, where the thought of man fallen, apart from Christ, and us experientially, the flesh in us, apart from Christ. The whole thought, the whole purpose, the whole design was only evil continually, you see. And so when we don't grow in grace and, and rest in his love and experience a new image in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we're to know no man after the flesh. That starts with us. And then we don't know anyone else because all things now in our learning process of growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, 
Old things in 2 Corinthians 5.17 are not in the process of passing away. They already are passed away. That's positional truth. Based upon a proper image now and a proper identity that now enters into the experience. And when the experience is not through grace, when it's not, when it's not, then God uses the flesh to bring us to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness once again in our experience so that we can grow. So that we can grow. And so it is the flesh that's in us that we're not of that resists this growing in grace. That is brought out in Galatians, the fifth chapter. That's brought out in Galatians, the fifth chapter and the 17th verse. The flesh lust has passions. Is It's it's hated passions against the spirit. And the spirit, with those gracious, loving passions and intimacy and, and, and a desire of intimacy with us, lust against the spirit and passionately. For, and these things are contrary one to another. There's confusion when we don't understand the, what happens, what happened to the flesh and who we are in Christ in a proper image. Then there's confusion. And they're contrary one to another, it says, so that you cannot do the things that you desire to do. And so this is what it's bringing out in proper image, this proper image that we have. Now, the Christian in, in our walk, the Christian this morning in our walk, and remember, our, our walk brings in steps. Now, in Psalm 37, and verse 23, and Psalm 37, and verse 23, it goes into the, the steps of a good man. If there's good, we know it's the grace of God in us, because none are good apart from God in Matthew 19, 17, and in Luke 18, and verse 19. None of us are, uh, have good. But the steps of a man, a good man, man that's graced out by God, are ordained of the Lord. But they're ordained. And you don't see in Psalm 37, 25, when a man is functioning in Christ or a woman is functioning in Christ in a proper image, you don't see the begging for bread. And bread there is brought out very, very clearly in the scriptures and in the word of God in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 and Matthew 4, verse 4 and Luke 4 and verse 4. It is stated that man will not live by bread alone, but by every detail in life. You see, details, uh, the flesh makes details to be its life, its circumstances, its situations. And thereby, in the flesh, we lose the experience of Christ being the head in Colossians 1.18 and in Colossians 2 and verse 19 of us over our body. And when he's not, then you, then you have all those fleshly pat, patterns that the enemy has to become these addictions that, be, that become attached to us so that we don't function experientially in our proper image about in, in a way that we've already been made in Jesus Christ. Already been made. You see, God never condemns us, ever. The condemnation is in the flesh, because for us, positionally, it's been condemned and done away with as far as God is concerned. He does not treat us after the flesh. 
He does not treat us after failures. He treats us in Christ who dealt with them, with all of those things and removing them as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103 and verse 12. And in the type in Micah 7, 18 and 19, burying them in the sea of forgetfulness, meaning God does not treat us after them. He knows all things in 1 John 3, 20. He know God knows all things. And what that means here is, this is even 1 John 3, 20 to 21 and having confidence based upon Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verses 35 to uh, 39, we have this confidence. But the things that God knows, it says he knows all things. He knows all the things that appeal to the flesh. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. It says the natural man receives not, listen, to the things of God, the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them. He considers them to be foolishness. Neither can he know them. Because they're spiritually discerned. And you see, when we function in the flesh, it's just the natural man again that we're not through the flesh and making things in time, material things, circumstances and situations to be our life. has nothing to do with our image. So God knows those things. But he also knows the things of who Christ is and propitiating him being our substitute whereby we are reconciled positionally. He knows all those things too, but that's what takes a separating, sanctifying process to separate the soul, fleshly living in Hebrews 4.12, from the spirit, God-conscious living through the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who takes the things of Christ in John 16.13 and 14 and shows them unto us so that we don't live in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, the list, the list there of the flesh, and those are brought out in Matthew 15, 16 to 20, and Mark 7, uh, 14 to 23. Those things are brought out, the things that are in us that we're no longer of, but we can function in them experientially based upon a lie, based upon an improper submission. And so he knows all the things about who we are in Christ, and that's the that's why it's called in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, and some refer to it as the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. The first is the, first is the cause of God. His cause is love. God is love. So it's the fruit of the Spirit is love. That has to do with our new image. Anything outside the love of God loving us and proper identity and image is not of God. And it has to be separated. And, and that's why we're still in this world. Why we're in this world, but not of it. And so the first is love. God is love. So the first, the fruit of the Spirit is love. When I function in his love, when I rest in his love, what do I experience? The next thing is joy. Psalm 1611, in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand, where Christ is seated, our pleasures flowing from us, flowing to us evermore, forevermore. As far as God's concerned, without stint, nonstop, is that love. That love is constantly towards us, without fail, because of what Christ has accomplished. And yet the flesh gets in the way and doesn't experience that love 
that sunshine that's still shining and the flesh gets cloudy. This is the veil in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, you see it in 15, 16 that interferes right through 18 with the proper image. They go from glory to glory. They have the, are changed into the image of truly who they are, who we are in Christ, versus being separated from the flesh, which is a false image, which leads to absolute confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, Christ is no, God is not the author of confusion, but separated from that in a contrasting conjunction, separated from that, he is our life. Christ is our life, not details, not circumstances, nothing to do with the flesh. And then as a result, when we rest in love, we have peace. We have peace. Because in Ephesians 2, in verse 14, Christ is our peace. And then when we have that peace, that irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, we have that peace, the whole world system is being tossed to and fro. It's being tossed to and fro in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. The whole world system is being tossed. It's like a, this hurricane. But you and I in Christ are in the midst of him. He's the eye of the hurricane where all is calm, all is peaceful, all is beautiful. And we are in that world, but we're not of it. We have this brand new image. It's unchangeable. It is immutable. Listen, our new image is unchangeable and immutable as much as Christ is because he's our very image. He's our eternal life in 1 John 5 and 11. And by that, in John 17, verses 2 and 3, we can know God as our Father, not a condemning judge, but a very loving Father who loves us deeply. And so as we begin this morning in this way, to begin to close this out this morning and then possibly open it up for uh, uh, some comments and some questions. The Christian is two. It, we're, we're, it's like it's the same, but we're, we're two parts of the same in image, the same individual. We are in this world system. It's called a wilderness. And so who are we in one sense? In one sense, we are wilderness men and women. We're passing through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's our walk through this evil world system. On our way to see Christ face to face. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, brought out beautifully. In Revelations 2 and verse 17. We're on our way. Passing through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's only a shadow. It's going to pass away very soon. I will fear no evil because I am functioning in a proper image, loved by him, and fear does away, uh, love does away with all fear in 1 John 4, 18. That tormenting, torturing, the Greek word in 1 John 4, 18 is kolasis, K-O-L-A-S-I-S. There's no fear in love because God has completed, he's finished our image through Jesus Christ. That's how he sees us. That's why in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation. So we're passing through this world system in first, first Peter 2 and verse 11. We're passing through as strangers and pilgrims. We're on our way to our new land, this land where we don't seek. Here we have no continuing city. 
in Hebrews 13, 14. But we are seeking and we're on our way to one to come. Uh, to be with Christ in our heavenly city. And that's why we are wilderness men and women. We have, we're in it, but we're wilderness men and women. We, want, we have nothing to do. We've been delivered like he delivered Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, Egypt being a type of the world system. When we see Revelations chapter 1 and Revelations chapter 2, those seven churches declaring the history, true seven Asiatic churches, but all the way down through, they were, they were in Asia, and Asia speaks of being mired in the world system. Mired in it, but not of it. But we can function in it through the flesh. And Egypt is the type of the world system. Pharaoh, a type of Satan. And we, God has delivered us, and now we're like Israel, we're in the wilderness. Where we have a, a cloud by day and a fire by night. And we see that in, in Exodus 13, 20 and 21. He's leading us through, leading us through, having delivered us in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. Listen, this all has to do with positional truth of a proper image. And a proper image is our only proper identity. And our proper identity is who Christ has made us to be in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. It is finished. We are finished products, perfected in the love of God, finished in John 1930. Finished. And so we are on our way to our Canaan, our Canaan, the land of fulfilled promises. And God cannot lie, Numbers 23 and verse 19, Hebrews 1, 2, uh, Titus 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 18, God does not lie. Man does, again, man does, and the flesh will lie in us under the, under the liar in John 8, and verse 44, that lies against a proper image and a proper identity. <laughs> we are on our way. We are not settling down here. Even the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, in Exodus and in, in Numbers, they were a tent people. We are in these tents, these tabernacles but we're passing through. That tabernacle was fixed, never touched the earth. It was fixed with pins dug into the earth of silver. We've been redeemed from this world system. We have a brand new image and we don't know ourselves after the flesh. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, our continual growth is one of experience and, and one of Absolute forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9 and in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. And forgiveness for us, forgiveness for us is love, once again experientially bringing us back to a place of being reconciled. That's why we enter into forgiving one another. We don't put it off. We don't put off a, a, the true image about who we've been made to be in Christ and who he is in us. And to put it off in Ephesians 4, 20, to 24 we don't put we don't put off christ and put on the old experientially where there is no forgiveness in the flesh and thank god for this image that we have so we're passing through we are we are these wilderness men and women passing through but we're also and much more higher 
We are men and women of heaven. We are men and women of heaven. That's where we are. We are a heavenly people. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. First three chapters very beautifully bring out. We are heavenly people. That's what 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And start in verse 44 and go right to 45 to 49. We are, just as Jesus is the heavenly man from heaven, we know that based upon John 1, verse 1 and 2. And then he put on, he tabernacled himself in humanity in 1 and verse 14. He was made flesh. He didn't become flesh. He was still the son of God. It wasn't egoneto, E-G-N-E-T-O. He, was, he never was, was uh, he never became flesh. He was always the son of God, never left the bosom of the father being ever separated in deity. You cannot separate deity. You can't do it, and it's impossible for God to be separated from who he is. And, but the whole time that he was still the son of God in the son of man. A brand new image. We have this brand new image, and it's brought out in several different scriptures, several different beautiful scriptures in, in the word of God. And, and our image has to do with who he's made us to be. We are a heavenly people. Our view is heavenly. We're wilderness, meaning we're, we're here and we're growing in grace here in time. We're growing here and the time is short in 1 Corinthians 7, 29. And, and, and we're to redeem the time, being redeemed ourselves in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, because there's going to be it will be the time when we enter into the fixedness of eternity in Revelations 22 and verse 11. And time in Revelations 10 and verse 6 will be no more. No more will be in his presence. For now, for now, listen, for now we see through a, a glass darkly. That means that's teaching utter, complete dependence upon him. For now we see through a glass darkly. Here we know in part. But then face to face, we will know growingly, obviously, him, even as he knows us in this beautiful, beautiful, eternal fellowship and exchange of a proper image and identity brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. We are a heavenly people. That's who we are. As we're wilderness Yes, we are a wilderness people because we're, we're in, this, in this world system, but we're not of it because we're a heavenly men and women. We're heavenly. We don't like the things of the world anymore. They don't taste like Jesus tastes in Psalm 34 and verse 8. But the humble, only the humble, and in Psalm 34 and verse 2, will hear thereof and be glad. The flesh wants nothing to do with the spiritual man. We see that again. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, that was Paul's prayer, that Christ would be formed in us. That was his prayer through God, through the, through the Holy Spirit. The very prayer that Christ prays in his intercession in Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews 7, and verse 25, and in Hebrews 9, and verse 24. He's, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to do so. He doesn't know us after the flesh. He knows us after himself and who he's made us to be in this glorified image that's ours already positionally. Now we're growing in this experience, in this separating 
sanctifying process. And so that's what his prayer was in Galatians chapter 4 and in verse 19, that Christ would be formed in them experientially the way he is our proper form. Do you see our proper form? We no longer like we no longer go back to the world to try and find peace. We no longer have to escape to go somewhere to have peace or rest. No, we don't. We don't like where our tastes are. Di- our tastes are totally different. Totally different. We we have tasted Christ. He's irreplaceable. He's irreplaceable in all of us, and for that we have so much to be thankful for. And so, Father, we do thank you for this this beautiful image of Christ in each individual that make up the whole of the body of Christ. Each of us bring out the beauty in our own separate way. Again, this is brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. We feast on Christ with that hidden manna that was hidden. The work that he was doing in us, the battles that he was overcoming for us in Exodus 14, 13 and 14, the battles of the flesh and the battles of the mind, those struggles experientially learning to grow in grace and a knowledge of his love. And so, Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Thank you, God, for loving us, for having done it all, you being propitiated so that you could offer your son as a substitute for us and thereby having received Christ in John 1.12, we are already reconciled positionally and thank you for it as we grow in that reality experientially on our way to our promised land, Christ in heaven. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we'll do uh, uh, for this morning and as we can have some questions and comments, uh, if there's any, and we still have some time, it's 8.53. It is awesome. Very awesome. Yeah, it truly is. And boy, I am so glad I can have that with you. Personally, and I mean it too. Happy gift, man. It's such a beautiful gift. I'll tell you what, it is irreplaceable. Nothing compares to it, Mike. Nothing for nothing. Me. It doesn't. This doesn't. You can take all the material things. Yeah. I, I don't care. I could care. I don't. Yeah. Don't care. But I don't care about it. Awesome. I, literally, I could go on vacations. I could do it. That that pales in comparison to fellowship. Now, if we do go and have fellowship, of course that's awesome, which we did recently. Yeah. Mostly, mostly, God, for me, going away for those, I don't know, just 30-something hours, basically, is what we went away from. It was just God dealing and teaching me about the flesh, through who I am in Christ, and then having a vision for other people and seeing them where they're at. It was incredible. Yeah. And we... I actually recorded it too. It was like a personal testimony of, of the two reasons why God had me go. It was amazing. Just incredible. And it all has to do with this second one, this second message here. Yeah. I think this morning I was just like, I was just captivated 
I know it's just like, it, only, it almost sounds so silly, but it's like the, you know, the incarnate, right? Or before he was in, in you know, tabernacled in humanity, he, cre he created humanity, you know? And when we say crazy, it's like, it's so incredible. And yeah. yet the understanding can only come from him. Yeah. Because otherwise, we couldn't handle it. What can we do? You think of like Hebrews 2.11 in relationship to that, right? And it's just, it, you're going, what? what? Now, who would do that but God? I mean, that, was great. that was awesome. Word. He knows He knows, and is acquainted with all our grief and sorrow. If we're experiencing that, listen, in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, 3, 4 and 5, literally, he's acquainted with our... Our griefs and sorrows he took. We don't have to go through them alone. Never. He took them all. He understands them. Way more than we even do. Yeah. yeah. He's acquainted with it. All our pain. And, and what he has promised, too. And we can look at it. And in Revelation 20. It says he wipes away all tears. It says it again in 717. Meaning, meaning he, he will deal with it, whatever caused those tears in a negative sense or a bad sense. He wipes away all those tears. That's awesome. yeah. and, and, and the other thing is he bottles our tears in Psalm 56 and verse 8. He bottles all of our tears. He is so acquainted with everything about us. And, and remember, we gave, and God gave us these, these messages about tears. Tears are a language that goes beyond words. But he knows them. He cried. He wept in John 11, verse 35. He learned in Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, 11, in Hebrews 5, you know, you see six through ten. He, he learned. He cried tears, and, and all his tears were uh, were about his father, and for us in Christ, and for the unsaved. That he never thought. He never cried for himself. Imagine that. But he weeps for us. He wept for us, and that's a truth too. By the way, when he was dehaltaya, and tears. Uh, and tears, each tear, they, uh, depending on the emotions and the thought life, are a chemical makeup. There's, there's a chemical makeup for tears of anger uh, and godly anger. Then tears of bad anger, obviously, that's not of God, fleshly anger. Then there's tears of sorrow. There's a whole makeup, chemical makeup that he knows because he put on humanity. Not the word. You know? So he knows, believe me, he knows. And we will fellowship with him. And sometimes we think when we pray, and we don't think those prayers came to pass, yeah? you know, that God didn't hear those prayers. Oh, he heard them. He was just protecting us. Yeah. Not giving us what we thought we needed. And that's the truth of the matter. That Seriously. is the truth. Yeah. Well, I made something, maybe I made someone more, and I was more occupied with them than Christ, and in his love and jealousy for me, I had to separate that. Yeah. 
But he even understands those tears never condemns us. Yeah. Never condemns us. Amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. And then we'll fellowship with him. And, and that's called the hidden manna in Revelation 2 and verse 17. And the hidden manna was, even when we couldn't feed on him, he never left us. He was right there, in, in, you know, interceding for us. And he's going to bring that out in our private fellowship throughout, throughout eternity with him in Revelation 2 and verse 17. He's the one answer to every single question, doubt and fear we ever had. And he's going to bring it out. And then, and then that's called the white stone. And you know the white stone, who we are in Christ. That's our image, by the way. The white stone is the image in Revelation 2.17. And you know, you know how he makes diamonds. All a diamond is is a piece of coal hidden in the earth. And through pressure and heat, it begins to form this diamond. And then it has to be taken out of the earth. Doug, oh boy. <laughs> taken out of the earth and then polished and cut away. And it seems like all these desires that we had, like in 100% of the diamond, it's over 60% of it is cut away. And he forms what's left into this beautiful stone, and then he has to cut it. And that's 1 Peter 4, verse 10. We are, you know, it's poikilos. It's P-O-I-K-I-L-O-S, Poikilos, and it's the many-faceted grace of God where his love, the light of his love, hits it and reflects it. That's what that goes into in the white stone. That is about image, too, by the way. That's it's another booklet waiting to happen in God's timing. <laughs> Anyone else have a question or comment? Can you explain a little bit Psalm 126.5 about where it says that they that they sow in tears and reap in joy? Yes. Now understand that for us in Christ. It's 2 Corinthians 7.10. There's a godly sorrow without regret. There's And mingled with the sorrow is joy. That's what that's bringing out. And joy... The word joy has, is the root word where we get the word grace, where his love flows through. We know that, again, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. They that sow in tears will reap in what? Joy. joy. So that's 2 Corinthians 7, 10. There is a, there is godly, there is a, a, a godly sorrow that's never with regret, but worldly sorrow, the things he has to separate from us, the things that we try to use, the flesh uses to replace Christ intimately, intimately, you know. And they could be people or things, but he has to do that separating, sanctifying process. Now, godly sorrow, is, there's no regret, but with worldly sorrow, there's plenty of regret. It's not the word repent, like God changes his mind. No, never. Never. So that's what that's what Psalm 126 by they that sow in tears will reap in joy. And then what will they do? They'll bring they'll be bringing their sheaves. That means their own personal fruit. And remember, that's awesome. That's awesome. The seed, Jesus 
said in John 12 and verse 24, you know, he brought it out. What has to happen? Right? What has to happen in John 12 and verse 24? I'm trying to get people involved. What is John 12, 24? Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone in the flesh. But if it die, it brings forth what? Much fruit. Psalm 126, verse 5, is going into your eternal fellowship with him in Revelations 2 and 17. You have that intimate fellowship with him personally. So uh, we will all have fellowship together in heaven. But it's only based upon our private, intimate fellowship with Christ for all eternity. That's right. Amen. That's what's being formed in us. And there's a lot of pain. God, you know, to form the diamond. Now the diamond goes in once it's even separated, even in its crude form, is delivered to the to the jeweler, and he has to cut away 60%. The word of the Lord is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow, and as a critic of the thoughts and intentions of the mind, not the heart, the mind there. And so he chops away. And each side is, is cut, and he's forming this diamond. And each one of those is, is light is coming in and reflecting his love in a personal, intimate way. But that, then there's polishing, too. And that polishing comes from pains that believers experience when they bump against each other, when they hurt each other. That's what that that's what God's doing. He's polishing the stone and preparing us for himself. He's a jealous God, Exodus 20, verse 5. He's a jealous God is love in Exodus 34, 14. He's a jealous, he's a jealous God in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24. He's jealous for us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. <laughs> he's jealous in his love, intimate love for us. And he doesn't want anything. Or anybody replacing that. That's right. Because then it's just serving one another's flesh. And he's not interested in that. And that's, listen, that takes growth. Listen, it does. That takes growth. We have to trust God for ourselves and for others. And for all those desires. Because only proper desires in Psalm 37, 4 and 5 come from him. And if he's my delight. I did my desire, then I will roll all my anxiety care upon him in Psalm 37, 5, because we have an adversary, the devil. We have to roll all our care on him in 1 Peter 5, 7, in Psalm 55 and verse 22, right? It says, Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. <laughs> Never allow you, the righteous, those in Christ, to be moved. And that's what First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care, all your anxiety upon him. For he cares for you in his love. Because you have an adversary, the devil. You know what he does? He walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's been trying to do that with me in these past couple of weeks. Like, you have, like I have no idea. Trying to devour me with his lies. You know, God only speaks to us in the comfort of his love. And he instantly yeah. has to convince us of that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. And 
We have an adversary, the devil, seeking whom he may tear to shred, tear to shreds and swallow whole. And he swallows us with the details of life, the things we thought we needed and were taken from us. And now where, where are we? Boy, I'll tell you. He cares for us. That's right. Well, do you want to close in prayer, Mike? I want to see Jenny L's shirt. Oh. Look at that snazzy thing. That's awesome. I have the same thing. I actually got mine first, and he copied me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, Father, we do. We just... It's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Never to condemn. Always to participate. And Lord Father, we're so thankful to be participators in you and for this beautiful opportunity to be to partake of you with each other lord father so every just cover and bless all your children this morning just so thankful that you're always there and you know and we rest in that and we just lift this up in your precious name. Amen.